Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease and a career. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Joining me on this podcast journey is producer and reporter Nikki Reitmeyer. Larry, I think that everybody who's been on this podcast journey with us by now knows that you are not just my podcast partner here, but you're my boss as well. And if they don't know, then, well... Now they do. Now they do. (laughs) Now they know. You're the program director of CKNW Radio. That's a news talk station in Vancouver, BC. And program director of another radio station. That's AM 730. And you're the manager of talk and talent for radio and TV in Vancouver for Chorus Entertainment. So your role has you working out of different buildings through the week, you know, you have a ton of meetings that you go to, Mm -hmm. you sit on several charity boards of directors, and you got this Parkinson's thing going on too. Yeah, it's a a lot to balance. Like, there's a lot going on. And and I I, someday struggle trying to figure out how to keep focused, how to prioritize. It takes me longer, just generally longer to do things. So reports that used to take me an hour now take me maybe two or just going between the buildings takes longer because I don't walk as fast. Right. Just going to and from those (laughs) meetings. So uh, there's a lot to do. And then I've got to balance my exercise classes and my family life. And, you know, there's trying to figure it all out is really, it's hard. And and then that makes me tired. (laughs) (laughs) That makes Uh, me tired just thinking about it. (laughs) But I also wonder how it impacts like you. Oh, you know, I would say that it doesn't necessarily. And maybe that's just because of the role that I have. You know, I work on a radio show and we just kind of, you know, do our thing. And as long as those microphones are on every single morning, well, then I guess we're, we're getting our job done. You know, I'd like to see more of you in the office. And I've definitely been seeing less of you in the office lately because you are a busy guy and, you know, pulled between different buildings, but also because you have lots of stuff going on in your personal life as well. So, yeah, I think maybe, you know, I'd like to see you more in the building, but otherwise, you know, don't worry. There's been no negative impact for me anyways. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> but, you know, I, I know that you were one wondering this. So I did speak with a few of your colleagues about those changes that they've seen and how it has impacted them. So first of all, I spoke with Catherine Stewart. Yes. She is an executive producer for network radio programming, and she's worked with you for, she's nearly four years now. And we chatted about your diagnosis. You know, it's funny, I must not be a very observant news person because I didn't notice until after he brought uh, myself and some colleagues into his office to give us a heads up that this was a pretty major thing that was going on in his life and, and letting people know. And it wasn't until after he let us know about his diagnosis that I did I did notice, you know, his walk was changing. You know, it's a bit more shuffly. It's a little slower. Uh, I realized the other day, I have an uh, a tendency to speed walk <laughs> aggressively. Yeah, and a couple months back, we were, you know, walking back from a, a charity lunch, and I, I realized that I was being very rude because I had accidentally, you know, sort of just sped right in front of him, and I realized that I was, you know, being a rude and inconsiderate person. Um, so the walk was the first thing. Is there any other ways that you've adapted how you work with Larry? Because you guys are in meetings a lot together. You know, I think, hmm, Larry's schedule has changed for sure. Um, And so making sure that 
I'm sensitive to his schedule needs. You know, he uh, is working more closely with the Parkinson's community. He has, you know, treatment appointments and time spent with his doctors and time spent, you know, managing his symptoms, you know, from boxing classes or meeting with support groups. So making sure that I am maybe a little bit more on top of my work because I know that, you know, He's not necessarily going to be, you know, in his office every day, 10 hours a day, right. you know, able yeah. to, you know, pick up the phone at a second's notice, although he's a, you know, incredibly responsive uh, boss and manager to have. I want to make sure that I'm not creating a panic because of my own uh, disorganization. I want to make sure that I'm not needing to make that call, you know, at the end of a day when maybe he's just coming out of a uh treatment session or what have you. Yeah, you know, that's a really fair point because I think often we take that for granted with our coworkers. We expect that if we send off an email that we want a response right away or if we call them, we expect them to answer. And with a manager like Larry, who's manager to both of us in this office at this radio station, I guess that is something that we have to be more aware of is that his schedule has changed as he goes through treatment, whether he sees his counselor or whether, like you said, he's doing his boxing, his schedule has changed. So, Larry, I also spoke to one of your peers, Dustin Collins. Uh Yeah, Dustin, he's (laughs) trouble. He is the other program director in the building, and he oversees two radio stations, two music FM stations, Rock 101 and Seafox. The only kind of change that maybe I've seen is just just a bit more tired because things are just harder for him. Um, he just he gets tired more easily than he did back prior to the diagnosis and probably a bit of the development of his ailment. Um, but his positivity and his desire to be a great radio program has, if anything, heightened out of it because he's got a bit of a purpose. Has he ever confided in you, manager to manager, about concerns that he has? Um, Yeah, just more so in just, um, you know, manager to manager, it's sometimes easy to kind of lean on each other and take the mask off of being bright and I'm motivating my team and I'm going to be a bit of a of an, uh, of an empowering person and hopefully people can kind of rise to my level of exuberance and enthusiasm. Right. But sometimes when you can kind of get people in the same kind of playing field to sit down and just, oh, Jesus, I'm tired. God, today's been a hard day. You, you can you can kind of take the mask off and just relax and, and um, you know, complain about stuff. Um, be real about just how exhausting it can be. And that's the stuff that he'll share with me is just, it's so exhausting because I have to focus on just how I move and how I can work um, while trying to balance a pretty full-on uh, group of people to manage and, and inspire and lead. So it's, it's, it's those moments when we can sit down and maybe grab a drink and just kind of share and just say, wow, it, it's tiring. It's really hard and exhausting. Balancing as well the, his life at home. Yeah. And being the parent of a young kid and trying to be there for his son and then being here. It's, it's, it's tough. Dustin's right. Finding that balance between work and home is really difficult. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think my family gets the short end of the stick. Uh, my wife, Rebecca, and I recently discussed how work is impacting my focus and attention at home. You are good at your job and you love your job. You're very present at your job and it takes a lot of energy. So when you come home in the evenings, typically, and then by the end of the week, Friday night, Saturday morning, you're tired, understandably. People without a disease are tired in the evenings and on the weekends after a job like yours. And most jobs are like that. They require a lot of energy and attention. And then by the end of the week, that's why you have a weekend so that you can recoup and recover. It just takes you longer to recoup and recover and your your crash is a little harder. Yeah, you know, I can imagine that. You are... I'm sure more physically and mentally tired at the end of every day. And well, at the end of the week, I mean, like, oh boy, it's like, it's a load off. And then you just sort of let things go. Like, ah. You know, is that crash Rebecca talked about and the exhaustion Dustin mentioned, is that part of your normal? 
I think it's normal for a lot of people with Parkinson's. I mean, everything is more effortful. So you exert more energy and it's going to take more out of you, right? Right, yeah. Uh, I did seek advice early on from my neurologist, Dr. Jonathan Squires. He's been on the podcast before. I I asked him if he was diagnosed with Parkinson's at my age, what what would he do? I would probably reevaluate my work-life balance a little bit and try to make sure that I'm taking those items off the bucket list. I mean, if... You know, you have, yeah. you have you have a lot of years, but the years have a have a tendency to get away from you. They tend to go by rather quickly. That's the advice I get from people that are ten years, fifteen years in. They're like, I wish I would have traveled more. Yes, yeah, and you still can travel ten to fifteen years in. It just doesn't get any easier over time. And so right. I think you want to, if 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 you want to go hike to Machu Picchu, sooner is better than later. <laughs> um, you know, you, you have to. I think you have to prioritize a little bit. And I think yeah. if you're if you're younger and you're still working, then you have to look at your job and say, okay, f- I'm doing okay now. Where am I going to be at in five years? Where am I going to be at in ten years? Do I need to scale back a bit? Do I need to make a career change? Um, how can I support myself in my job and my life to to succeed? You know, I think Dr. Squire summed that up really nicely by using the word prioritize. You should be prioritizing your plans, whether they're your travel plans, your career plans, you know, just activity expectations, just to prioritize those things a bit. That really resonated with me. Well, it's it's hard to prioritize, though. Like, how do you how do you put your career and your the, the salary that you make to support your family ahead of your family? Or how do you put your family ahead of your health? Like right. you've got all these things that are competing and complementing each other at the same time. So it's really it's 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 a juggling act. Competing priorities that you have to prioritize. Right. You know, <laughs> and he talked about you know finding you know what what it means for you to succeed. And your definition of success is, really matters here. For me, you know, success is what keeps me driving harder and harder. Uh, I think I work harder to make sure that I'm doing my job to the level that I expect myself to to be. You know, I, I don't want to be the guy at the office who's good at his job for somebody who has Parkinson's. Right. I want to yeah. be good at my job. Yeah. And, and that's that's hard, and it takes a lot of a lot of effort. It's something that I've talked to a lot of people about, including the, the, the boys from the Sick Boy podcast, Brian Stever, Jeremy Saunders, and Taylor McGilvery. You have this big job at a radio company where you're overseeing a lot of different projects and you have this like, um, you know, job where you're in your, your, your mid-40s and, and you have the, a lot of responsibilities. So how do you, how do you tell your colleagues and, and go to your place of employment and, and tell them that you have something that is degenerative like this. It's, it's hard. Um, I think everybody needs to do it if they have it, but it's hard because you don't know the reaction and you're scared. For me, I told, I guess it was, I told my boss first, uh, not soon after I was, not too far after I was diagnosed and took him out for a beer and just said, hey, something I got to tell you. Uh, and I don't know what it means what it's going to look like and and uh, he was so supportive and everybody that's above me in this company has been so supportive in everything I'm doing and they're like if you need time away if you need us to buy special equipment like voice recognition software what, whatever you need mm. ask us uh, which is is the response you want but it's also, you know, from an emotional standpoint, it's like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm valued. And you don't know until you're, it's put to the test. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. yeah. And um, the fear yeah. is probably that it's the reverse of that. Or maybe that you get some fluff answer, but it's really like, well, like maybe Larry won't be able to do his job anymore, so maybe we should replace Larry. Yeah. Like, is that a thought that goes through your mind? Well, sure. And as, and as time goes on, like, I don't know how fast my I'm going to degenerate. And and yeah. the other thing is, like you said, it's not it's not likely not going to take your life anytime soon so i mean you have a full life to still live and you need to financially be able to support your family and like i can imagine that that's probably that weighs on me a lot yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure well when did you have that conversation with your boss well it wasn't too long before i told you uh it was after my first neurology appointment when they had just ruled out ms and parkinson's was really the only thing left it could be 
uh, though they hadn't officially told me it was Parkinson's. Uh, Troy Reeb, the head of global news and chorus radio and station operations, is, is one of the guys that I pulled aside early on. So you're like Larry's boss's boss's boss. I think that uh, there may only be two bosses in between. Larry's boss's boss. Right. Not the boss's 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 boss. Correct. That's right. So, Troy, about 18 months ago, actually before my official diagnosis with Parkinson's, I pulled you aside and told you that doctors thought that I had Parkinson's. What went through your mind? What went through my mind was first um, this feeling of... Oh God! Uh, you know what? Larry's one of our, uh, our our real great contributors. He's a wonderful guy. Um, he's a tremendous worker. He's got uh, incredible ideas. And um, and the first thought I had was, how do we make sure that no matter what this diagnosis is, that we can support you, and uh, and accommodate you to uh, to ensure that we can continue getting those great contributions that you offer to our workplace? Has that happened to you before, where an employee's come up to you and said? Now, Mr. Reeb, I have this very, very serious disease. I, I can't imagine that happens too often. Uh, well, well, first off, it never happens that people call me Mr. Reeb. But, <laughs> uh, uh, but, but it, it has happened before. And, um, uh, but, you know, it's, it is rare, certainly. And, uh, and oftentimes the request is immediately to, to take some extended time off. And as an employer, that's one of the things you want to, uh, either work with insurance providers on so that you can provide actual, um, direct disability, uh, or find ways to, uh, to otherwise accommodate. Some of the, one of the big problems I think employers have in situations like this is that there's, there's not much of a gray area between people going off on disability where they're really, according to insurance rules, are supposed to have no connection back to the workplace whatsoever. They're not supposed to be working. Uh, and employees who would really like to continue to contribute, but in in a reduced fashion or in a way that accommodates um, uh, whatever they're going through. And, uh, and that's where I think employers have to give some more thought to how do they accommodate that. And sometimes it means that, that as an employer, you have to uh, have a reduced expectation of productivity, at least in the way that you've traditionally described it. And, um, uh, and in, in your case, Larry, I think the, the thought that went through my head is that what we want to have is, um, an ability for you to be able to have a more flexible schedule, knowing that you're, you're a person who lives this industry 24 seven regardless, and you're going to contribute whether it's at 1130 at night when you happen to be awake, um, uh, or, or wherever you happen to be. And, and I, and I think if you work on that premise of, of giving the benefit of the doubt and having an honest conversation with some uh, of the person who's going through it and an honest conversation about what your expectations are as an employer, you can pretty quickly come to a good accommodation. You were diagnosed with bladder cancer. How did the company react to that and when, how did you decide to tell them? You know, in some ways, you know, Larry, I appreciate you giving some credit um, to the way we've responded to your Parkinson's diagnosis. I, I, I don't think there's anything special about what we've done, but but maybe some of it has been informed by my own uh, background history where I did uh, tell my boss uh, the, uh, that I had been diagnosed with bladder cancer. And and, and it's kind of a and it was a, it was an awkward time because we as a company had just been taken over by another large company. I was not familiar to the senior executive team there. Um, you know, I was still wanting to prove my uh, my worth and my commitment to the organization and to suddenly have to come in and say, uh, I have no idea what my future is going to hold and my ability to be able to do the job because I've had a cancer diagnosis was a, a very frightening thing to do. And, uh, and I was blessed to have a boss who uh, first thing said, don't worry about anything at work. Worry about yourself. Once you're right in the right headspace, let's have a conversation about how we can continue to have you contribute to the level of commitment that you've already expressed to us. And um, and that sticks in the back of my head for your situation, Larry, and for the situation of anybody who would come forward to me with a similar uh, a similar issue. You you mentioned you were frightened. I was scared because you, you don't know what the reaction is going to be. Why do you think people are so? I've talked to others. They're, they're like, I'm not going to tell my boss. I'd be too scared to do that. W- where does that come from? It comes from this feeling that uh, somehow, uh, at least for me, it came from a feeling that somehow, the day after diagnosis, you're going to be perceived as lesser 
in the uh, in the eyes of your employer because your ability to contribute uh, in all the ways that they would traditionally expect becomes lesser. And I think that in most cases, fortunately, I think that in most cases that that's a false fear. Um, because I, I think the first off, we as humans are very empathetic. There aren't that many terribly cruel employers out there, thank goodness. <laughs> and if they are, they should be rooted out. Um, uh, but I, but it's something about our own uh, the, the way we define ourselves and our self worth and um, uh, and you know it's a fragile time for people once they've been given that news. I have to say, Troy Reeve, he is such a good attitude, and he has such a great approach to this, right? Well, he does. Uh, of course, it's been great, but, you know, it's also the law. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> like, I had a great discussion with an employment lawyer, Lior Sanfiru, about this very topic. He's the head of employment practice for Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP, and his perspective on this really helped calm my anxiety. Well, there actually have been cases, and, you know, our, the legal system has dealt with those harshly. I, myself, uh, was involved only a few years ago with a very serious matter, also involving an individual that had suffered from Parkinson's, and, and his employer, let's put it, uh, put it this way, treated him not the way it, it should have. Uh, there's always also the fear that, uh, you know, some, an employee may be viewed as less than, uh, than they were before, uh, and, and no one wants to have that view of them, and, and that is completely understandable. But in terms of what the law can do, the law does protect employees. The law is quite good when it comes to these things. There's there's very little uh, gray areas when it comes to accommodation and and disability and medical conditions. You can't be treated differently. Uh, You can't be penalized. You can't be let go. And not only that, you have to be accommodated. In some situations, uh, the employee may need to provide something from a doctor, and it's okay for the employer to require that in terms of the accommodation that is required. So if, if you believe or your doctor believes that you should not be lifting any heavy loads, then as long as the doctor says that, that triggers the employer's duty to accommodate. Uh, and in situations where, despite everything I said, the employer takes it upon itself not to treat the employee properly, there is legal recourse. There, there's uh, various uh, complaints that can be done, uh, and, and those matters can be resolved uh, if needed uh, uh, that way. Isn't that so interesting that a case that he dealt with was specific to Parkinson's? Yeah. So, I mean, the fear that we have is real because it's still happening, not nearly as pervasive as it once was. But reassuring, he said, look, there's a little gray area here. It's pretty black and white how your your employer is supposed to be treating you. Absolutely. I mean, it's comforting to know that, you know, there's... There's a law. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you're safe. You know, the company can't punish you for getting Parkinson's. No, no, but I, but, you know, I also feel a loyalty and an obligation to really be at the top of my game and be a productive worker. You know, they've invested in me, and I want to, you know, make sure that they get a return on that investment. I asked Leor what he would do if he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Well, I, I, to the extent that I, I think that I, I would see that it is impacting my, my work in any way, I would be telling my employer, but I would also assure them that I can still fulfill my job duties in the same way. And you know, to the extent that there are circumstances uh, that I may need accommodation, I will advise them. But beyond that, I can do my job. I can fulfill my obligations. I can continue to provide uh, good quality service. And uh, I, I may even provide something for my doctor confirming that so that they're aware, so that they're not hesitating in terms of uh, how to deal with me. Remember, there is a lot of, uh, certainly when it comes to Parkinson's, uh, a lot of misconceptions out there. Uh, and, you know, people believe things that may not be true. And then the employer itself may not be aware of what it means to have Parkinson's and how it impacts and does not impact an individual. So it's okay to educate your employer a bit uh, in, in those circumstances, either yourself or through your doctor. Don't assume that necessarily that the employer knows what it means to have Parkinson's, what it means to, uh, to uh, have a condition that slowly uh, causes deterioration. They may not know and may not appreciate. They may think that you can't do the job as soon as you've been diagnosed. We all know that's not the case, but the employer may need to be informed and educated on that. So I think that education component is important, and I would do that uh, and, and trust my employer to, to abide by its legal obligations and not to treat me any differently just because I have that condition. 
Okay, so how does that make you feel hearing that? Good, I guess. Um, but the reality is the work is going to get more difficult over time. Everything you know, is effortful, takes more effort, takes me longer to do my job, as we talked about. Focus is harder to find and regain. Um, yeah, I talked to neuropsychologist Dr. Robert Duff about that. He deals with thinking and cognitive abilities as it relates to people with Parkinson's and other movement disorders. He also hosts the Hardcore Self-Help Podcast. So... The, the type of impairment that we would see with, with Parkinson's tends to be what we call subcortical impairment. So if you think of the brain, you know, you, you picture like the outside, the wrinkly part of it, um, that's called the cortex. Mm-hmm. And underneath that would be considered the subcortical area. And the sort of layman's way of explaining it is that, you know, on the outside, on the cortex, you have really these big overall skills, your language, your memory, your planning abilities, stuff like that. And inside on the subcortical spot, which is what we're talking about here, that's really where all the inner connections are between the different parts of the brain. And so that has a lot more to do with how efficiently your brain is running. Um, So in Parkinson's, what I've seen is that the cognitive impairment that happens really really fits with the physical changes that happen because in Parkinson's what happens you start to slow down you know your movements become a lot less efficient they become uh, a little more unpredictable things like that and with your cognitive abilities what we tend to see is definitely a decrease in what we would call speed of processing just the raw horsepower that you're working with it doesn't make you an unintelligent person Um, it doesn't make you have poor judgment necessarily Um, especially in the early stages, it wouldn't necessarily cause that, but it causes you to become less efficient. And really what it looks like is it it looks a lot like the normal aging process with your brain and your thinking skills just dialed up, just just happening more quickly and to a greater extent. So yeah, it it would be things like, you know, you um, have a high level of intelligence and you're well-educated, but somebody asks you a question you should know the answer to, and it's just taking you a while to get to that answer, whereas you used to be able to boom, just give it right away. Or word finding, you know, you're talking and suddenly a word slips and it's not that you've forgotten the word, you know what the thing is called, you know what the stapler is called or what the name of that actor is, but it's just taking you longer than it should for it to come back. You have to circle around to it or describe it in a different way. Um, Those would be kind of day to day examples of that. You hear uh, the word, uh, the phrase executive function. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. what, what, What is that and how is that impacted by Parkinson's? Executive functioning is, those are the types of um, cognitive functions that are mainly governed by the frontal lobe of the brain, so the part that's like behind your forehead. And those are the higher level thinking skills. Um, they, They call them executive because that's the part of the brain that manages everything else. So if you think about skills you might use in a workplace, that's a good way to think of it. So planning your approach to something, uh, following a sequence, um, organizing yourself, filtering out distractions, things like that. Things that are, that are not just the basic skills, but taking it up to the next level and incorporating multiple different skills. Those would be your executive functions. And um, they can also be affected by Parkinson's. Um, often it's, you know, the frontal lobe of the brain is also the, the part of your brain where your personality sort of sits. And with Parkinson's, you're not usually seeing these drastic changes in personality like other frontal lobe issues can cause, like you're not suddenly becoming super uninhibited and inappropriate, though that can happen. Yeah, when we talk about this, you know, I've got a career and a family, and I think, boy, my fear, and it's, you know, builds into anxiety and depression and whatever else, is that I'm going to lose my job, and I'm going to lose my ability to earn a living, and I'm not going to be able to care for my family and support my family, and and it feels like that's impending, and, and it, the, the sort of a sense of doom. Yeah, that's real stuff, you know? I mean, it's, it, it's real because it does happen to some people, you know, and um, Parkinson's is a progressive disorder, but it's different for everybody. Like I said, some people uh, really have a, have, a, have a great quality of life and it stays that way for a long time. And, you know, by the time they're retiring, it's just time to retire anyway. And it's not necessarily getting in the way of that. For other people, it does, you know, so it's, it's legitimate to be concerned about that. And hopefully for you, that can be a bit of a pressure to tr- try to do everything you can to maintain the things that you do have control over, you know, things like how you're using your brain, things like how you're treating your body, the nutrition that you're getting, the types of exercise that you're getting and stuff like that. Because, you know, there are a lot of things with neurological issues that we don't have a lot of control over, but making sure you're making it to your appointments, following your doctor's advice and taking good care of yourself. Those are things you do. 
it's kind of nice to think that you have control, at least over something. 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 You know what I do for myself now? If I, if I want, like, cashews, I used to, like, well, they're kind of expensive. I'm like, I just go buy the cashews and I eat the cashews. <laughs> or if I want ice cream, I'm going to have ice cream. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I, don't, I don't like – I don't second guess things now. Like if I have a craving for something, or if I want to do something, I typically I just go, yeah, I'm going to do that. Good for you. I like that approach. Yeah. I should start factoring that into my own life a little bit more. <laughs> I think everybody should. You only live once, right? You know, one of the interesting aspects to your situation in all seriousness is that most people with Parkinson's are retired and they're not still in the workforce, but you are. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I find comfort in talking to others like me about how they're balancing their work and home and Parkinson's. Jim Redman is 47. Uh, you first met him in last week's Extra Dosage. Yes. He's married with three grown kids, a high school social science teacher in Ottawa. He was diagnosed three years ago, and like me, before the official diagnosis, he began to share with others that it was likely YOPD. There was no way to hide it because my, my, my tremor is in my right, uh, my right hand, my right arm. And, uh, and it was going, there was, uh, there was not a lot that I can do. And, and I, so I also coach volleyball at, uh, at the school and, and, uh, I don't know if, I think you've, I've heard that you've experienced this too, but when, you know, things become intense or emotional, the, the tremor kicks in just a little bit more. So, you know, I'm sitting down on the sidelines coaching a volleyball game, and it's a, 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 a an exciting rally or an exciting game, and and my right arm is just going crazy. <laughs> and uh, you know, the players are looking at me, going, "What? What's wrong with What's wrong with our coach here?" And and so, you know, I had to tell them first, you know, that there not that we knew what was going on, but there was, you know, there was something going on. And don't worry, it uh, it's not like I was angry at them or or anything, but we're just figuring some stuff out. Uh, but then uh, my, you know, the administration at my school were incredibly supportive about, uh, about what I was going through and made sure to know that, uh, whatever it is that I needed, they were, uh, they were, you know, more than willing to, uh, try to accommodate. And if I needed any time off, uh, you know, don't hesitate to ask, and uh, if we needed to adjust my schedule, then uh, then let's uh, let's sit down and see what we can do. So, I, you know, when it was, I was I guess I count myself very lucky that uh, that they were open uh, to what was going on right from the start. Uh, it was a bit of a you know I was I was nervous uh, going in to have that conversation because I still wasn't sure uh, if the diagnosis was going to be Parkinson's or not, but. Um, I left that meeting feeling uh, very much secure in, in where I was and what I was doing. So I was happy about that. Has it changed anything about the way you have to go about teaching? Well, uh, so yes, I mean, I've, I've, I've had to modify my schedule and I'm, I'm lucky to have a job where, where I can, like I'm lucky to have good, uh, good benefits package. So, uh, what I started off with was taking every Wednesday off uh, so that I would work two days, uh, get the same supply teacher to come in to cover my classes on Wednesday, and then work two days. I was able to do that, uh, I don't know, for two or three months, I think, and then uh, then had a bit of a crash uh, physically and mentally. Uh, and so that, that led into taking an, an entire month off uh, and, and to just rest and and uh, get my symptoms back under control and, and tweak the medication a little bit. Uh, and then, uh, so then when I came back, uh, we, we tried taking the mornings off. So, and, and that's what we're, I've gone with for the last year and a half, I think, is that I go into school at lunchtime. Unless I have a duty earlier that will bring me in. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to only live like, uh, you know, 10 minutes away from the school where I teach. So I go in at lunchtime and I teach for the afternoon, which means that in the morning, uh, you know, every you know, Monday to Friday, I start off, uh, you know, after Krista goes to work. Um, I take our dog for a walk and that, uh, that, you know, that goes for half an hour to an hour. Then I'm able to uh, get some exercise in and do some stretching. 
and and then I'm able to go into school uh, with my body and mind in the right spot, hopefully. You mentioned you had a crash. Can you tell me about that? Well, it was just, you know what, I got, uh, I got really tired. Uh, and so I was trying to, even though I had that one day off a week, um, you know, I was still coaching volleyball and I still am. So that, uh, you know, there was putting in the, and not that, you know, I can complain about being a teacher because it's an awesome job, but it was, you know, teaching from nine until three thirty, and then, you know, putting in an hour and a half to two and a half hours of coaching, you know, four of the five days. And, uh, and then, you know, that day of rest, the Wednesday that was supposed to happen, I would have to try to cram in all my Parkinson's stuff on that day. So doctor and neurologist or physio appointments and, making up for, you know, not getting the exercise or the stretching in. So I found that I actually wasn't, you know, the purpose of that day was to to rest up a little bit, but I, I wasn't actually resting up. And then it just uh, became, uh, you know, it just started to wear and build on me. And, uh, and, you know, I came home one night after volleyball, I think, and and that was, uh, you know, just sort of flopped down on the bed uh, and didn't feel like moving. And, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, uh, had, a, had a little cry with Krista. And, um, and then we tried to uh, come up with a different plan uh, because that one, that one wasn't working. So I, I think that we actually changed uh, some medication and, uh, and, and then went to say, okay, well, look, you know what, you, you have the ability to take some time off, take a little bit of time off, get refreshed, and then come back at it. So Larry, Jim came to the conclusion that maybe he needed to take a little bit of time off. You haven't taken any extended time off. Is that something that you've ever considered? Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I talked about it with my wife the other day. She's like, you keep bringing this up. I'm like, really? I don't recall bringing it up before, but it's very appealing. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when do you do it and for how long and for for why? Like, what's the goal of it? Um, You know, I'd like to have time, days, weeks, months, whatever. Sure. Uh, But I'm not sure I need it right now. But it's nice to know that option could be available. Uh, and everyone's different. Uh, Johnny Aitchison was diagnosed three years ago. He was in shock at 41, married with two kids, and a great career as an emergency room physician. Parkinson's was the last thing on his mind. He immediately took a month off his job to just digest the news. I mean, the thing, the thing that gets me is that um, I'm, I'm medically trained. So uh, I went to medical school in Belfast uh, and, and graduated in 1999. And I'm working as an emergency medicine consultant at the minute in, uh, in Leicester. But um, I knew there was something. I knew there was something wrong, and I had a list of things that I, that I thought it w- could be. So what was know, on that list? So on on my list was uh, I thought there was a problem with my cerebellum. So potentially some problem with my uh, my balance center um i thought that i might have multiple sclerosis i thought i might have motor neuron disease um and those those were the main things and i i i didn't even know uh, as a doctor as a medically trained that you could get parkinson's as a young person it just came as it came as a as a as a big 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 shock as it does to as well, it does to every, everybody. I mean, for me, initially after I was diagnosed, obviously I told my family, my close family. Um, we told the kids uh, really quite quickly of a twelve-year-old and an eight-year-old, and then the only other people I told were close friends and my uh, consultant colleagues at work, um, because it, it was much easier to let them know. Uh, what was going on, and they've been they've been very supportive. Um, so it was sort of um, tighten it for about eighteen months, and then uh, my work had to change about uh, six months ago because obviously, if you've ever been in an emergency department, obviously, or an emergency you know emergency room in the states or or in Canada, um, it's obviously very busy. There's a lot of sensory 
sort of overload and there's a lot of quick decision making to be done and and I find that very difficult with the Parkinson's to multitask to make very quick rapid decisions um, so as a result of that I wasn't working in the emergency room and now I'm working more in an observational ward capacity related to the emergency department but I, as a result of that I, ha- I had to tell the um, I had to tell the nurses um, in the department and told the senior nurses yeah. it's it's scary to tell your story to, to to share your diagnosis with your co-workers and your boss yeah how, how did how did you approach that um well oh in the four weeks that I, I was off after diagnosis I thought well you know should I or shouldn't I so I sort of weighed up the pros and cons and um you know came to the decision that I would I would tell everybody um, what were your so cons a, take me on that list so the thoughts were people say that I um, look well so I don't look unwell as such and I wanted people to understand that Parkinson's was having an impact on my in my life uh, in in my day-to-day sort of function as such and um, so I didn't want people to sort of go, well, you know, what's wrong with him? He looks fine. You know, why is, why is this adjustment being made to his work? Um, so I, I think telling the consultant body, um, my close colleagues and my boss, uh, really, really helped that process. Um, and that, that was one of the main, the main reasons. How do they react? Um, so I think the, the initial response was, was one of sort of disbelief, um, shock. Um, I think, I think the difficulty is that, um, because people don't know or understand the disease process, it's very difficult for them to actively help if, if you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, you know people will say oh let me know uh, if I can do anything for you um, but I think I think it's sort of learning it's 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 me learning about the disease process and, and helping to educate them so we can work well together still if you know what I mean so an example would be you know I, I said to um, head of service in a meeting a few months ago, I said, you know, if you ever hear me in a meeting going, sort of pausing and going, mm, 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 that sort of means that, you know, you've asked me a question and you want an answer and a decision. And I, I, I can't do that at the minute. I just need a bit longer, a bit longer to, to decide. Right. And, you know, it's things like that that's, that's helpful. You know, he'll say, oh, you know, we were in a meeting sort of a couple of weeks ago, which lasted about two and a half hours, so it was, it was quite intense. And he sort of said at the end, you know, you're sort of running out of gas, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, um, you know. So, so it's, it's helped from, from that point of view because you don't have to, you don't have to hide it. Um, but I know there are people in situations where work mightn't be as supportive and um, it can cause difficulty. But I do think you have to focus... The advice I got, which was very good, was um, you need to focus on what you can do and what rather than what you can't do. So you, you've still got you've still got skills to offer. You've still got talents that you can you can offer in the workplace. Yes, it, it might be different to what you did before your diagnosis, or it or it gets adapted over the period of time. But you still have uh, good things to offer people. So so that's uh, that's the way I've uh, that's the way I've approached it. You know, that's kind of life advice that we hear a lot communication, how important it is. And in this scenario, when when you have got Parkinson's, again, it's important to communicate with your coworkers. And he speaks about a real benefit if you just communicate with people. Well, I find that if you don't tell them, they begin to create their own narrative about sure. what's going on and how what a slacker Larry must be. And boy, he's not really good at his job anymore. And why does he get so much time off? And like, right, if you don't tell course. people, they begin to like you know, they're going to fill that void with something. Mm-hmm. And so rather than have this rumor mill going on, like let people know what's going on and really explain 
how it's impacting your life and what you need from them. I think that there is some wisdom, you know, in telling your bosses early on and telling, you know, your coworkers if that's something you're comfortable doing, because like you said, it's just human nature that people jump to conclusions about things. It's not always nice and sometimes it's nasty, but it's, it's just human nature at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. Would you recommend to someone else that they follow in your and Johnny's footsteps and, and have that conversation right away with coworkers? It worked for me, but I, I would really say it's a personal decision. It's up to each individual. You know, everybody's situation is different. Everybody's situation at their workplace is different. Um, I asked employment lawyer Lior about you know when should a person newly diagnosed with Parkinson's come forward and say, uh, you should probably know I've got Parkinson's. Well, the first thing to consider is the timing of when you're going to share that news with the employer. Uh, certainly for, for many people just diagnosed with Parkinson's, there won't necessarily be a direct impact on their work, on their ability to do the job, certainly not uh, at the beginning uh, or right after the diagnosis. So. At that point, certainly there's no uh, real reason as to why the employee may want to disclose that. There's nothing wrong with disclosing that information, but there's certainly no need to disclose that, uh, that diagnosis. When it is required that the diagnosis be disclosed is when it starts impacting the workplace, when it's going to start impacting the person's job performance, uh, their ability to do the job, the safety theirs and others in, in terms of the, uh, the, the job. At that point, it becomes an issue that the employer needs to be aware of. And that is when the employee should, should advise their employer uh, of that. But it, it's not just enough to say, just so you know, I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. At that point, the, uh, the employee needs to explain to their employer what that means in terms of their ability to, the, to do the job and what accommodation they may require in order to allow them to continue to be productive at work. Each episode, Larry sits down with his wife, Rebecca. Have you thought about what we're going to do when the day comes when I can't work? I have. How's that make you I feel? I don't like to think about it. <laughs> it's like the big elephant in the room. Well, we've set up our life a certain way. You love to work in an office. You love to work with people. You love your job. I love work as well, but in a very different way. I've worked freelance. I've worked outside of an office environment for more than 15 years. Yeah. I like having that freedom and flexibility. There are reasons we made those decisions. <laughs> because that fits us, at least up to the point where it doesn't anymore. All of that said, we found this balance and we like that we like what we're doing and we've made these de decisions for a reason. When a practical situation comes like this, then you just adjust. And we've done yeah, it before. For sure. So the other thing to consider Presumably, you will be making that decision because you are feeling less physically able. And I'm, at least at this point, your primary caregiver oh, yeah. <laughs> for those situations. <laughs> well, there's that to consider. <laughs> so how do you manage that balance as well and still bring, oh, bring income in and have the flexibility for me to be present for you and available to you? This is why mm. they say don't think about the future because, exactly. boy, it's crushing. Right. I mean, this is complicated. Yeah. And then with Henry, depending on how old he is, when this all kind of, when this decision becomes inevitable, right now we're homeschooling him and he has some learning issues. And so it's not like we can just choose any situation for him. We have to be very careful about what kind of educational environment we choose for him and what matches him at the time. And so are you going to homeschool and I go back to work? <laughs> right? So it's, it's, it's complicated at this point. And I'm, I'm hoping that over time it becomes more clear. Right. As you figure things out and as we as a family start to find a new balance and get more accustomed to the rapid changes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll just trust that that's going to work out over time and that some sort of income situation will make itself available and it'll match when the time comes. It's a lot of trust in the future. And it is a lot of in trust, ourselves. but you know what? It's, <laughs> listen, it's worked for us in the past. It'll yeah. work for us in the future. Everything will work out, but it's, it's daunting to think about. So we mix it up, figure it out.
we get on it. <laughs> Whatever that means. I don't know. I need a drink. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. It's estimated that 25 to 35 percent of people diagnosed with Parkinson's are still in the workforce. Some continue full or part-time work for many years. While the diagnosis of Parkinson's doesn't necessarily call for early retirement, it does require that you look at how you can best do your job and minimize work-related stress. Parkinson Canada recommends you consider the following. First, make an outline of your overall responsibilities. Break each area down into specific tasks. Consider whether or not your symptoms will interfere with your ability to carry out each task. Look for other ways of doing things. And create a schedule that enables you to address difficult or challenging tasks during your peak performance periods. And remember to set aside specific hours for time-consuming efforts like writing reports. Coming up on the next episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. How's Becky doing? My husband's changing and um, it's scary. I hate that disease and it was pretty easy to hate her because the disease lived in her. Yeah. And so she saw that that's where we were going. And that's not a good place. What do you think is the hardest part of what you're going through? A, a sense of loneliness. If it's just you and the person who has Parkinson's and that's it, you don't have any family members or friends or outside supports that are sort of seeing what's going on with you, that can be dangerous because you may not realize that you haven't been sleeping. You may not realize that you're sort of decompensating in these ways. But if you were to you know, have regular meetings with friends of yours or family members, they can go, whoa. Do you find that you have time for self-care? First, if, if you don't do that, you're going to end up probably being a bitter, resentful person. The joy offers you freedom, and the there isn't so much freedom in the dark moments, but there are lessons in them. Since I'm not currently in one of those dark moments, I can have that perspective. From Curious Cast, this is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. If you'd like to help spread the word, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free to this podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere that you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Social media is a real simple way to help spread the word and raise awareness for Parkinson's disease. On Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just look up at Parkinson's Pod or email us at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. And be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to all of our guests. When Life Gives You Parkinson's is written and hosted by me, Larry Gifford, and Nikki Reitmeyer. Dila Velazquez is our story producer and sound designed by Rob Johnston. Keep positive. Keep exercising. And keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.